Welcome to the Yeshiva Shomayla. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about Roe v. Wade, the abortion in America. The Supreme Court has said, well, has said it will rule on Roe v. Wade at the end of June, which is around six weeks from now. So you could assume for the next two months, it's going to be constantly in the news. Abortion. Those who are pro-choice and those who are pro-life. And what is the halacha on it? You know, in the States, you have all the extremes. You have Texas, which doesn't allow abortion, even if it was rape, incest. Listen to this. Texas already has one of the strictest abortion laws in the country, banning them at around six weeks when a fetal heartbeat is detected. There aren't any exceptions for pregnancies coming from rape or incest. The only real exception is if pregnant women face a medical emergency or are at risk of death. In New York State, where the liberals rule, it's up to 24 weeks, six months, where the child in many ways could be viable. I mean, there are children who are born today in the fifth month that live. Basically, for any reason, you decided you woke up one morning, you said, you know what, it's the 23rd week, up to the 23rd week in six days, you want an abortion, New York State, the state pays for it. Listen to this. This law permits abortion for any reason until the 24th week of pregnancy and then in cases to protect, quote, the life and health of the mother after that. Can you clarify, what does that mean? That is so important that every pro-life person understands the reality of what that means. Mm -hmm. The health exception, which is something that we see in in Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, Mm -hmm. that the health exception is left up to the attending doctor, aka the abortionist in charge. Mm -hmm. So, so long as the abortionist is willing to consider any kind of difficulty that the mother may be facing, whether it's financial, relational, um, emotional, any kind of health reason, um, this can be interpreted to be allow, you know, to allow abortion up into the moment of birth. And as we've seen doctors speaking out after this law has, has been enacted, that there's no medical reason to end the life of a child at term. Um, you should just induced delivery and then you have a live baby um but this law does so much more you know it calls for non-doctors to be able to perform abortions um it it takes away any protection for those babies that are born alive and we're talking about late-term abortion i mean ask melissa odin who was who was born alive after a failed abortion or jill stanick who held a baby born alive this happens and those protections have been taken away from children in new york now what does halacha hold how do we look at abortion What about if the mother's life is at risk? In 2011, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. um, And a few days later, found out I was pregnant. Um, And I went to my oncologist and and I said, is there a way to stay pregnant or what are my options? And she said, before, um, you know, your, your type of cancer is HER2 positive. The most effective treatment is Herceptin which is incompatible with pregnancy, cannot be given to a pregnant woman. Before Herceptin existed, your cancer had a three-year survival rate. For me, it was I wanted to live. So just imagine for a moment, if abortion is illegal, my case is not considered an emergency. I'm not allowed to have an abortion, so my cancer progresses. And then this potential for life is never going to be a life. So I could have given my life for nothing. It feels like my life doesn't matter. What about if it's the child is assault, incest, rape, any of these cases? I was 14 years old and I was raped. In the state of Oklahoma, I was 17 weeks. And in 1993, they would not allow me to have an abortion at that stage. So I had to be taken to a clinic in Overland Park, Kansas. 
So we're going to have a lively debate. We have the Goyen, the Ravid of Yerushalayim, Ramayish Sternbach, who takes a pretty uh, you know, strict view on this. Then we're going to have from America that Reb David Kohn, who goes with the Mahalach of the Tzitzeliez, we'll see in the Paiskim, there are two general Mahalchim. Reb was the one who was very, very machmir in aborting. And I can't even say how far he went. He was very machmir. He considered it avak ritzicha. On the other hand, Rav Waldenberg held that any kind of source of agmasnefesh to the woman he held that has nothing whatsoever to do with ritzicha. It's like any other operation. You don't do it for nothing. Then to understand those who are pro-choice, basically you can just abort. We're going to have on a, a woman from Texas, a reform rabbi, who's going to explain why she's pro-choice and uh, what, what Americans are thinking. The 50% of America that's pro-choice. And then we're going to have the Avbezdin of the CRC, the Skan Avbezdin of, of the Bezdin of America, Rabbi Reese from Chicago. He will uh, tell us how, you know, the CRC, how many of the other Rabban and Paskin. So really a wide range of views should be very interesting. And since this is going to be so much in the news the next few months, I think listening to it just will make us all smarter and understand the other side or disagree with the other side. At least let us know what to answer to the other side. Hagdam, this is not for psak. This is for educational purposes. We're talking and learning. Don't listen to this and say, aha, this is what I can do. Last week we got a bunch of calls and I said I would put the answers up to the uh, Pesach riddles and I didn't. Shame on me. So at the end of this program, we will post the answers to the Pesach riddles. And I do want to put in an ad for the Mishnah right now, even though I don't know if there are any available up in America, but if you're lucky and you can still get some. Here's an email I got from Reb Aaron Einhorn. He was in charge of the printing. He says, they called me before Pesach from Shemri Emunim and they told me this is Sefer Hachi Yafa Mimachon Oiz Of all the thousands of Sefarim Machon Oiz printed, this is the best one. He says, I got it an email from a, a Magitshir in Staten Island. He says, Mishnu, he says, Shurim in the Mishnabura, in Tubatim, Adrashim, Bells and Ger. He's Mishtamish Mishnah Reina Beis Hashir. He says, Can he get any more sets? Everybody wants the sets of the Mishnah Reina on Chele Gimel and Chele Gvav. So this is a Chassidish Yungaman Rabbar, and he says, I'm getting calls from Paiskim, Chassidish Paiskim. Where can they get their hands on the Mishnah Reina? If you're lucky enough, Make sure to get go to your Svarim store and grab some of the few sets that are remaining. Chela Gimel came out, and Chela Gimel and Chela Aleph came out this year again, and uh, there may still be a few sets to go get them. So before we go to the program, I do want to give a little bit of a Hagdama because it's a complicated topic, and I'll try to clarify something that really could be a few hours here. I'll try to do it in 10 minutes. Ramosha in around 1975-76, right post the Roe v. Wade decision that allowed abortion, came out with a fiery tshuva where he said, abortion is an issa daraisa and it's an issa of ritzicha. You wouldn't be put to death for it, for it but it's still an issa ritzicha. And Ramesha brought three primary proofs. One is, he says, the Gemara says that a guy is chayiv on hapalasuber, it would be chayiv on abortion. Taisus over there brings that there's a klal miyakamidi. If something's also from the Zion mitzvah b'nei noyach, it can't be that post-Kabbalah Satayra, that it's Mutta, his Kabbalah Satayra came to be Moisif Kedushan Klal Yisrael, not to diminish. So anything that they have from the Zion Mitzvah Spenenoyach, we only have more of it after Kabbalah Satayra. And therefore, Tai says, therefore, Kabbalah's Uber would be Asa for Yisrael too. So Moisif is based on this, since for the Goy it's Asa Al-Tesaretzicha, for the Yid it's also Al-Tesaretzicha. His second Rai is, that the Rambam brings that if the, a mother is in, in childbirth and the birthing of the child risks the mother's life, 
know, it's called a makasha leilid in the olden days. Today, it still could be, unfortunately, but it's much less. But then it was much more common. So what's the halacha? You're allowed to kill the uber because the uber is a raidif. He's trying to kill the mother and he's a raidif. But without the heter of raidif, would be also to kill the child. So Moshe says, you see from that, it's only because he's a raidif that you're allowed to kill him. You see, he has a din of a nefesh and it would be an iserutzicha to kill him only because of raidif is there a heter. Right? That's his second raya. And his third raya is, he says, the Gemara says, you're allowed to be mechal Shabbos if a, if a mother died during childbirth, Rachman Olatzvan, and they have to do a C-section to take the child out of the deceased mother. They could take a knife through a shusarab and whatever, any isa to save the fetus. So he says, if you're mechal Shabbos, you can't be mechal Shabbos for something that doesn't have a din of a nefesh. Therefore, Ramay says, these are his three primary raya's that it has a din of a nefesh and that abortion would be asal shritzicha. Interestingly, other paiskim, such as uh, the Marit and the Chavisur, when they bring the Tzad that it's an Issa Daraisa, they don't say Al Shritzicha, because the, you, you clearly do, the Mishnah says you wouldn't be killed for it, but the Marit says it would be an Issa of Chavala. The Chavisur says it has a din of Shvicha Zera, etc. But this is the, these are the Tzad of those who are Oaser. Now there are many Matirim, the Tzitzel Yezer brings maybe 10 who are Matir abortion, but again, interestingly, only in various situations. Ramesha says it would be Mutter really only in one case, where the mother's life is at risk. Those who are Matir do not do it for lifestyle reasons, and they matter. They're matter not only when the mother's life is at risk, but whether it could be damaging to the mother in some other way. Not life-threatening, but just damaging. So you have the Teres Chesed and the Achiezer, etc., etc., where they seem to apply. It's either an Issa Drabanan, or at most it's an Issa Chavala. And since it's an Issa Chavala, a person is allowed to be chayvul themselves, it's for their benefit, just like somebody can get a cosmetic surgery. Now, a new Shaila developed around the same time as Roe v. Wade. And what is that? Today, they could do Dari Sharp, post-Dari Sharp. They could do blood testing. They could do sonograms. They could do x-rays. They could do genetic testing. And they could, something they didn't, that didn't exist 50 years ago. And therefore, they can say the child is damaged. So the, the great Paisic from Eretz Yisrael, the Tzitzel in 1974-75, wrote a tshuva saying, if the child is going to have a terminal illness such as Tay-Sachs, it's mutter, since it only, would only be an Esachavol or an Esachavonon, these would all be mutter if the child would be terminally ill and would destroy the life of the family. He himself would not have, he would only live for a few years. Though again, he's the first to discuss this. He was the Rav that Paskin, all the Shilohs for Shari Tzedek, in general, he was considered the number one Paisic on medical issues in the world. If you look at his Svarim, Shin Chavches, Shin Chavtes, dominate most of his Svarim. So he was the first one to discuss this, where not only it's a risk to the mother, but the child himself, and he was Materit. And what are his answers to Ramesh's to these three proofs? He says this, that you say Lekam Midi, and if it's Asa for a guy, it must be Asa for a Yid. He brings a whole pack of Achreinim who say, it's a Shita Yechida, this, this opinion, and we don't Paskin like that. But indeed, he brings uh, from the Chsam Seifer and the Arachlaner, really earlier Achreinim, that we don't Paskin the concept. And yes, the indeed, the Kabbalah Satoira overall was to expand Kedush in the world. It doesn't mean that there are corners of the world that sometimes Kabbalah Satoira couldn't be a cooler to. But you know, we don't accept the blanket theory, and they bring Rias that the Rambam held this way, etc. So they do away with that Svara. There are other ways they other ways they also do away with Miyakamidi. As far as the Rambam that says the only reason you're allowed to kill the child is because he's a Roidif when the mother is having difficulty birthing, well, why do you have to come on to Roidif? Say he's not an Ephish. So already the Achiezer says, look, when the mother's giving birth, this is the ninth month already, this is a viable fetus. This child, if you did a C-section, could walk. And this child would live without an incubator or any issues whatsoever. Of course you're not allowed to kill such a child. However, we're talking about in prior stages where the child would not be viable, that's 
that's going to be an entirely different conversation. So that's how they do away with this Raya from Ramosha, Zachiyaz already. And then the third Raya from Ramosha, when he says, how could you possibly be Michal Shabbos if it doesn't have a din of a, of a, of a nefesh? So they bring a Torah other. Ramosha really bavarns this. The Ramban clearly disagrees with this. The Ramban says the reason why you Michal Shabbos for the Tshfidus is not because the Tshfidus has a din of a Chaybahem, like a regular person, but a new Svara, that what Shabbos itself would agree, be Michal me to save the child. Why? Because if the child dies, all the Shabbosim that this child would keep are not going to be kept. So of Shabbos Echas be Michal one Shabbos so that this child should keep many, many Shabbosim. So if that's the Svara, you could say the Svara even on a fetus that doesn't have a din of a nefesh, Shabbos looking forward would say, wow, another Shema Shabbos, even though it doesn't have a nefesh, but a potential Shema Shabbos is going to come into the world in two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months, certainly be Michal Shabbos, not because it's a nefesh, but because it would cause the glorification of Shabbos. This is how the Titzel Yezer, and he brings many other Paiskim, argue on Ramosha. Now, how we Paskin. So, bottom line is, is that New York, up to 24 weeks, no problem for any reason. Texas, you can't. What is the halacha? Well, certainly if the mother's life is at risk, you're allowed to. Now, let's say it goes beyond that. And certainly those, the matirim, don't hold you can do it because you decided you're just not in the mood of another child or financially you can't afford another child, etc. Because still, still going to be at the very least in a sidrabanan, possibly the rice of chasazera, of, of chaval, etc. So they hold with our extenuating circumstances, such as a child with tasaks or where it could cause serious illness to the mother, etc. These achrainim would be matir. So it's really very nuanced and it says we are very pro-life. But with exceptions, where there are extenuating circumstances. That is generally the range from the mother's life where everybody would agree to those. Now, there are cases which are really more, much more of a gray area, which it sits all yes, it doesn't discuss. Let's say you have a 15 year old girl. She's expecting. She, she had a, she had a boyfriend. Something bad happened, right? It's going to ruin her life. What would the Tzitzel Yezah hold in this case? So there already you need the big Paiskim in the world who are down on the Shilas, like Reb David Kohn, who, who, who to, to discuss these type of situations. And I will not go into it on the ear. It's, it's a very delicate conversation. How do we do Lamaisa? Well, it depends on your Rav. But here's a clip from Hagoyin Reb Herschel Shechta. Listen to this story, he says, oh, about Reb Shleim Zalman. So there was a woman in the community in Rochester who was extremely overweight and she had difficulty getting a shidduch till she finally got a shidduch. It was a big and asik. Then she had difficulty becoming pregnant. She finally became pregnant. It was a big simcha. Then she finds out that she's carrying a sex baby. So the shadla was that she permitted to perform uh, an abortion. So she asked the local rabbi. So the rabbi in Rochester didn't get these shadlas every other day. So he asked the doctor... Can he please call up Shleim Zalman Because he knew him personally. Ask him what to do. So the doctor called up Shleim. Doctor was telling me the story. Doctor called up Shleim Zalman, and he tells him the whole story. It took her a long time till she got a shidduch. Took a long time till she became pregnant, and now she realizes she has a sick baby, and she's going to be. It's going to be tsaris If she goes through with the pregnancy, is she permitted to perform an abortion? So Shlom Zalman says, they're talking in Hebrew, he says, you know my opinion, I hold that it's not permissible, there's nothing to discuss. So the doctor has it over again, but the woman, until she got a shidduch, until she became pregnant, a whole arichas, it's a rachmanas on the woman. So the doctor said, maybe, th- he tells Shlom Zalman, maybe think it over, tomorrow I'll call you again. 
So Shlomo Zalman said, I don't know what there is to call me tomorrow. Okay, call me tomorrow. But you know my opinion, hold that it's us. So he called him tomorrow, calls him up the next day. He says, Tagid li Isha. Sheyesh, poisek before Sambi Yerushalayim. Tell the woman that the tzitz Eliezer says this mutter. The woman is not mechuyiv. She's not my Talmud. She doesn't have to follow my sheet. Tell the woman. Don't tell her there's a machlokes. And I told you that it's also. You know what I hope. Tell her there's a pasuk mefusim shalom. It says that it's mutter. The woman is not mechuyiv to listen to my sheet. He thought it over overnight. He didn't change his opinion. But he said the woman is not mechuyiv to follow my opinion. Before we go to our program, I want to say a vart on Lagbeimer. The Shulchan Aruch says, based on, you know, the Miri and Yuvamis and the uh, Samar Bey says similar, Kabbalah biyad hagainim, lamid gimel ba'imer, the paska hamisa of Talmidi Rabbi Kiva. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says too. The Talmidim of Rabbi Kiva cease to die. So the Prichadash asks the obvious question. He says, watch the Simcha. The 24,000 Talmidim finished dying on Lagbeimer. Not because the next 50,000 Talmidim were saved, or the next 100,000 Talmidim were saved. So, whew, thank goodness, a miracle. But, they stopped dying because there was nobody left to die. All 24,000 died, and they stopped on Lagbeimer. So what's the Simcha, that everybody was gone? So the Prichadash, in Shulchan Aruch, in Tav Tzadi Gimel, he says, the Simcha is not for them, but that after Rabbi Kiva's 24,000 Talmidim died out, what does it say? Rabbi Kiva went to Rabbi Seinu Shebedarim, and he found five... He f- Five more Bachram, who became the greatest Talmud HaChaman, who we have, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Lazar ben Shemua. And what? And these five Talmidim, Hamidu Torah, Isha, they reestablished Torah. You know, Stam Mishnah's Ramea, Stam Teres Kainim's Rabbi Yehuda, Stam Sifri's Rabbi Shimon, Zaira Kaddish of Shirajbi. So the joy, he says, is not that they stopped dying, it's that Rabbi Kiva continued and reestablished the Torah with the next five. Now, that's amazing. I mean, that after such a setback, and Rabbi Kiva was towards the end of his life at that point. He was close to 100 years old when he reestablished, when he lost all his Talmudim and started again. And it was the joy of reestablishment. And we've said this in the past, but I have like a new deheredness. The last five Talmudim of Rabbi Kiva all are very famous. Everybody's heard of every one of them. Nobody's heard anything about the first 24,000 Talmudim, and we sort of sense they were nowhere near as great as the last five. It was 24,000 and just five, but who lit up the world. Why didn't Rabbi Kiva have these five Talmudim like this beforehand? Why were none of the 24,000, 1,000, 2,000, 100, like the last five? Is it a coincidence? Or is it the suffering, the pain, the incredible gravity of what he'd experienced changed Rabbi Kiva. And all that energy and darkness and grief and experience, he poured into those last few Talmidim, and they became the five Talmidim that changed the world. That Rabbi Kiva was able to convert that darkness into light. And he couldn't have done that before. So what is really like Boimer about? Like Boimer is about turning grief into energy, darkness into light. And that is the Simcha of like Boimer. That that is a gift from Rabbi Kiva to us, that we have that ability, that who would you be if you hadn't suffered with fill in the blank in your life? Who would you be if you hadn't had fill in that experience, that rejection, that loss, that setback, that pain. And what does Rebbe Kiva t- teach us? 
all those, all that negativity, I, he converted that into Torah. He converted it into the five Talmudim that changed the world. And I think that when we look at the bonfire flickering in the dark of the night, what's the message? The message is you and I can convert whatever darkness it is. And the greater the darkness, the greater the light that we can turn it into. And that is the Semcha. That's how I'm understanding the Prichadash today. And this is the Keshes, the bow of Lagbaimer. A blade, a cherev, it kills on impact, it damages on impact. A bow, the more stress, the more tension, the more breakage it has, the more you pull it back, the further it flies. That's the message, the bow of Rib Shimon. What is Rib Shimon saying? All that darkness, all the 24,000 Talmudim, that was the tremendous energy pulled as a bow, that tension that allowed to create five Talmudim. Can we take our negative energy, use it as a bow to create something amazing too. So we all have darkness, some more than others. We've all had our stories and our experiences and our dejections and losses and humiliations. And like Beimer is the time when we can turn dross into gold. That's the Simcha of like Beimer. Before we go to our program, I do want to ask the riddles of the week. First riddle. This week's parsha sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it should, because most Jem Tovim, that's what we start with. The parsha of this week, Emwer has the parsha Samayadim, but we don't start Elam Hashem. We start number of Sukkim, eight nine Sukkim before Shor Kesev Eiz Ki Like why? Why don't we start Elam Hashem? Even if it's Shabbos, there are enough Sukkim to stop by every three psukim or every psik, etc., and be able to have enough alias to go to the end of the parsha. Why do we start at Shor Kesev Ki That's our first riddle. There are a number of answers. The best answer wins. Here's the second riddle. Ish ish mi beis Yisrael ashiyakar of karbane. So the Torah's kainim, it's the Gemara Menachas and Dafayin Gimel Amid Beis says, Ish ish. What's the second ish? The Rabbis Akam a guy could bring ki beisi based tefila yikari lechal amim a guy could bring a carbon. A guy is neider nedarim v'nedaves. Here's the question. The Gemara says, if you said you're going to bring a carbon, well, guess what? You're not bringing the carbon. The kain is. So the Gemara says the kainim are doing it al shlichas. So the question is, since we hold the same Gemara Kedushin, and more places, so it's true, we learn Ishish, a guy could be Neudern in the Dharam and but how is he Mekayimit if the Kayin who's being Makrevush? If, if, certainly if the Shechit is Ayodei Kayin, but certainly the rest of that Kakrav is Ayodei, there's no Shlichas to him. And we need Shlichas for that, so that you should be Mekayim there. What does a guy do? We have half a solution for a guy. How could we possibly darshan Ish-Ish? Those are our two riddles. Again, uh, you call in your answers, we'll put up all the answers, and we'll pick a winner. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our fabulous program. 
have with us on the phone from Yerushalayim, the Rashke Bahag, the Ravid Shlita, Shalom Ubracha to the Ravid. If the child might have a virus, or it might have a, uh, another illness which would develop afterwards, which they would suffer from it, is a rough, a rough, uh, a teacher of the patient, even the, the, the fetus is five months old, you're allowed to make a hapala. And the Moshe Feinstein Paschkins, no, never. And we Paschkin, till 40 days we allow, after 40 days we don't allow. Now you ask the question, what's going to be if it's a doubt? The doctor doesn't know. It's very difficult to say. We will ask the doctor, we first will we take over two doctors to make sure we never take one doctor for such an important case. And we would ask, what would you say, most cases will come to a date the child will suffer, we would probably go after the home. If not, I wouldn't be matter yet. So up to 40 days, you would be matter if it was arrived. And after 40, 40 days... Minutes. 40 days. 40 days, 40 days we take one bunch of from the little trailer. Generally the woman is Mishab and Miyad. Right. Okay. And after 40 days, you're machmer, even if you're 100% sure that the child will be extremely ill and probably die in a few years, but we're machmer like Ramosha after 40 days. There's, of course, another point, which uh, um, maybe is not in America here. Even you have such a child... The government take it away and either private people or institutions look after him. So you've got no rights to kill him. You don't want him, but others do. And that makes it still more of a step. Again, of course, about America. Here in it's like that. You know, there are institutions, first of all, for these children when they're born. Their parents don't want them. And even sometimes parents want to have a mitzvah, want to do a, a great thing, and they take them over. So why should we allowed to kill them? Right. We have the great honor of having with us on the phone Hagayin Harav Reb David Kohn. He's the Marida Asra of Gvul Yaivitz. He's also the Marida Asra of Ohel and of Hatzala of Flatbush. Welcome, Reb David. Thank you. I always feel welcome when you speak to me. I want to take exception to the question, because since we are going public, so to speak, this this answer is going to be aired. I don't think it's appropriate for me to say my psaac, especially when, there, when it's a controversial topic. It is well known that this was a machlekes, a very, very... Uh, when you say great gedolim, it's like saying very many, many times. But of, of the of the, the they were both Rabbin Shel Kol Bnei Agayla, Rabbi Meisha Feinstein, Zeichet Sadek Levracha, and Rabbi Leizer Yehuda Waldenberg, Zeichet Sadek Levracha. Gedolim Oylem, literally, and uh, these are yidden that were shaylit b'cholat herakula, and this was a well-known controversy. So before I even discuss their controversy, I feel that one fundamental approach, how anyone who asks a Shaila should ask a Shaila. Ideally, every Fremiyid, we assume, should follow the rules of, of his, his Maradasra, as Shilas by his Maradasra, not as Shilas by whomever it's convenient, because you would like to have a cooler, so-and-so we know, gives the cooler go to him. That's not the way halachas are supposed to be paskin. These are the ground rules for anyone who's asking a Shilas. 
Now let me comment on the machlekes of Rav Meisha and Rav Waldenberg. Zichreinam Levracha. I happen to have spoken to Rav Meisha Zatzal. I had an audience with him many years ago. I had a, a very close friend of mine who was close to the family was able to give me an appointment. And there's much, much, perhaps if I find time to write a memoir, I would write the very interesting things that happened at that sitting. But I will comment that I did this discussed this with Rabbeisha. I believe that he is the one who brought it up, and Rabbeisha was the one who was very, very machmir in aborting. And I can't even say how far he went. He was very machmer. He considered it avak retzicha, very strong machmer. When Rav, Rav Waldenberg, on the other hand, Rav Waldenberg held that any kind of source of agmasnefesh to the woman he held, it has nothing whatsoever to do with retzicha. It has to do, she's uberi erechimai, like the Gemara and Erech and Avzayin. It's like any other operation. You don't do it for nothing. Maybe there is Surim Darabonan involved, which were nitcha for any valid reason that he gave. And he felt the Agmas Nefesh, especially the Tsar Godel. Even in a situation of a Down syndrome, he was Mata to terminate the pregnancy even at seven months and more. Because as the Rambam says, Kolzman says, it has that Allah of Ubriyarachim. And it's a very, very difficult Rambam Rabchaim Brisker explains it. And after the explanation, it's very controversial, difficult to understand how the Rambam understood the whole sugya in Sanhedrin Ayim It's a very, very difficult sugya. Rav Waldenberg... When he wrote his tshuva, he spoke whenever he mentioned Rav Meisha, going Rav Meisha Feinstein, you see that he was very much bulky and very much machshiv the words of Rav Meisha. This tshuva that he wrote, and it's basically, I think, in the 14th or 15th volume of his tshuvas, he, 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 it's incredulous. He is incredulous how the man, he writes with very, like, like, I, like he can't believe it. He can't understand it. His critics Criticism of Rav Meish's psak is that he says Rav Meish is going against all the achreinim, and he gives you a whole list of achreinim that learned the sugyas the way they did, and that clearly they disagree with Rav Meish. Not only that, Taisus Nidamem Dalad, which is clearly not like Rav Meish. Rav Meish says, well, it's a it's a mistake in two places in Taisus. Not only that, there's a marit that's clear. Clearly not like Rav Meisha. And Rav Meisha writes, well, I, I think he, he, I believe he told me that he, he didn't see the Marit because someone brings it. And I want to comment with something very interesting, bibliography, about bibliography that Rav, uh, the Ravisa Yehuda Unterman Zatzal, the, the Rav Arashi, who wrote on this topic, also said, I didn't find the, the behetive as being quoted in the name of the Marit. And I haven't seen it. And I believe Rab Meisha also told me he didn't see the Marit. So when I spoke to Rab Meisha, I told him where the Marit is, and I also told him that there's a bibliographer error, which goes back to the time of the Pesel Baalban, which was the most beautiful except for Yeridea, which later on, the Vilni Yeridea printed the most beautiful Yeridea since 
since the beginning of printing with all the mefarshim. So there was an error here, which I'll go into right away. So I both mentioned the Marit of Meisha, who brings such a strong raya that you can't say it has anything to do with Ritzicha, because the Torah says, Ki Yenotsu, Anashim, and the Gemara says, Bimotsois Shebenisa Kasimadaba, means they were fighting to kill one another. So it's Matsus Shebenisa, Vinokfu Ishahara, so even though Yotsu Yoladeha, there's only payment. Now, if there's any kind of me of Misa, if there's any kind of Ritzicha in the Nokfu Ishahara, Vyotsu Yoladeha, the Marit says, Why don't you say, Come lay Bidrabmine, according to even if there was no Asra, that he says is proof that it has nothing whatsoever to do with even Avakrit Sicha. This is the Maritz Raya. But Simon Tavchav Hay is where this question is addressed in Hilchus Raydev because the Rambam and the Sugya deals with Raydev, Katna Raydev. So we we put it together with Hilchus Raydev. So by mistake, they they would normally print the Beitiv of they would normally print the behetav of you, the tiktin, and they and they went ahead and printed the behetav of Schayim and Del Bells, who doesn't bring the marit. The behetav of you, the tiktin, brings the marit. So evidently, Rav Lindemann was looking in in the behetav of Schayim and Del, and it was quoted that the behetav brings the marit. He said, he writes, I can't, I didn't see the marit, because it's not my behetav, and I believe I remember like telling this to Rav Meish as well because he said I didn't see the Marit. But respectfully to the Rav, a, yes. a, a few points let me respond to. You said yes. that since Tana Devei Chizkiya should be Kimle Midrabmine, yes. even according to the Rishonim that Aserit, and they say it's Avak, and they would hold it's Avak Ritzicha according to those Pais, let's say according to Rav Meish, yes. it doesn't mean there would be a Chi of Misa. And Everyone even holds there's no Chi of Misa. Good, so by Tana Devei Chizkiya, if there's no Chi of Misa Karis, you don't say Kimle Midrabmine if it's Avak. If there's no Tana Vechiski is saying even Bishaygeg and Rashi in Bavakama Lamadei, I believe, says that even though Makalko is Potter, but because of Tana Vechiskiya, you say Kamli Bavakaminei. Taisus argues, but you see how far. But it has to be on something that hasn't extended. But it has to be on something. only a Drabonim, and yet Rashi applies Tana Vechiskiya. So that would, according to Rashi, what you said is being refuted. Certainly, according to Rashi. But you have to understand that, and I would like to comment. But, but, but so the Rav, yes, respectfully, go ahead. please go ahead. It's, I'm just telling you yeah, that the I argument just, of the Marit, the Marit, is a valid argument. Yeah, but Makalkal is—it's an Isidra Bonon on yes. something that is a Chi of Misa. Here, there's no Chi of Misa. It's like a Vaklash and Hara. But I'm you telling you what the Marit it. says. I, I understand, but I'm I, telling but you, Marit, the Marit is a Kadmine, and certainly by the authority, he's not the only one that sits as a quote a. Rashima, literally, I understand. of Achreinim, and everyone holds I, like him. I'm, a, I'm only responding to that Raya. For example, says that you're allowed to lechatchiv. No one holds that you're allowed to kill a mamza. But in the case of mamzerus, Rabbi Yankov Emden says you can abort a mamza. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. it but, seems but, from all I, the Achreinim, no one held like Rav Meisha lahalacha. Well, but, but, so let me just ask the Rav a few questions. According to the Marit, the way the understanding of the Marit, the Shari Tshuva says that being mavazes somebody is avak ritzicha. So if somebody's <laughs> mavazes somebody, yeah. And even so, so would there be a din of kimle? So would there be a din of kimle midrabmine? 
It's hard to answer. It says the means in, in Dine Shemayim, it's an avak. Would, so, it, would uh, it be a din of Kumle? Well, there is, yeah, yeah, there is by avak, avak arayas. And the Gemara has two, two rationale. The person wanted to speak with someone, so if she was an Aishas Ish, yeah. the Gemara calls it avak arayas. In other words, he wanted to speak yeah, evidently yeah. like divrei cheshek. So the Gemara says, because it's habizrayu the Gilarayas. And if you hold it was a Pnuya, it was like a Takana, Shalom to Abenais Yisrael Perutsim. But you see, by Yehorig Valyavar, we apply Avak. It would be very Mechudishtik to say, by Kim Lebedrabminei. I agree with you. So let me ask the Rabbi another question. It's an authoritative Rishon and a Psak. You know, you can't, you can talk and learning, but he's still, he counts, but, but it's not only the Marit. But there's also a Stira, there's, there's another dozens, Marit. There's literally dozens of, of, of G'dayli Achreinim throughout the ages. Uh, Are you allowed to kill a Mamza? No. No one, uh, no one ever dreamt to let you kill a Mamza. Rabbi Yankov Emden says it's Pasha to abort a Mamza. Whether it was B'mezid, B'shegeg, whatever happened, he says, of course you abort a Mamza. If it's Avakrat Sicha, how could he say that? But, so but, it's clear. But what does he do with what do we do with Taisfis? We have Taisfis in, in Sanhedrin that says that there's a din of Miyak Amidi, Taisan Dafnun Tes, that says that there's a din of Miyak Amidi, and Avadi says it would, there would be a din of Miyak Amidi by Harigas Uber of a guy. So Taisfis clearly says it's Asr in Sanhedrin. They they deal with this. They deal with this tesis. They deal with this tesis that once there's any kind of is, so you don't say miyakamide, and everyone agrees. I think the Sri Dayesh talks about this that there, that there is an issa chavala, so you don't say miyakamide anymore. You know there is an issa. It doesn't have to be the same issa. So once there is an issa, and that issa, like for any operation where there's necessity, we don't consider it chavala. So even though normally there's an Issa Chavala that takes off Mikamide. But, but, but the Achreinim deal with this question. Yeah, I'm almost positive that Sri Deyesh deals with this particular question. But they, they talk with it. The Pella on Rab Maisha is the fact that Rab Maisha on things that their authorities, I say, says it must be a Talmud Taya. This is what the Tzitzeliezer says. He says, we never heard of such kind of reasoning. You're telling me Tysus and Nida disagrees with what you say. So therefore, you're saying it's it's a mistake. It's a Taz at first. Two places. He says, what kind of derech is this? So that's what I'd like to comment on, that the Tzitzeliezer didn't realize Lani is not the... And I'm, I'm, it's by me, it's not a conjecture. If you would make a study of Rav Meishe's Chuvis, you would see that, that Rav Meishe had a different Messiah altogether in Hira. And there was such a Messiah, and we know there was such a Messiah from the Goyen, and, and perhaps even earlier. We know that from Rav Chaim that he went with the Messiah, that Paskening a Shaila does not mean uh, putting together what other Paiskims say. To them, they were mevatalists. In Lit, I heard that the greatest insult you could give to a Litvish, a Balayra, is that he Paiskims from the Pischa or Sharei Tshuva. And they used to say on those Paiskim that used to bring the keys of other Paiskim in their responsa, Medafim Tzolim Tregegelt. 
a, a Treger is a porter. We should pay him for being a porter that he brought together Psukim. To them, that was the greatest bittle. Paskening a Shiloh meant going through the sugya yourself and working through the sugya as if you were a Rishon and telling me what the Allah is according to your understanding of the sugya. And you have a perfect right to argue on any Rishon that you wish. This was the Messiah. But it's not Derek covered to do so. So you should say some sort of a doichik why you're not dealing with the sugya like this in this Rishon. And an example given was Reb Chaim once argued on a base Yosef in the Indian of Malia Chareu Kareseyach. And he said, don't ask me questions from the base Yosef. He, he in his place they had a different salt which in halacha is not meaningful. But it's like saying I'm not arguing with him. Don't ask me questions. It's Derech Hanivus. There are many cases where Rav Meisha made his psak and would write, what about this and this Ramban, who's not like me? And he would be mefalpal in the Ramban and not bother to answer how how he's reconciling his psak with the Ramban. Because Rav Meisha Paskin Shilas according to this Messiah, it's clear to me. So that's why when he's Magi in the Tesis, or he says Talmud this is his way of saying it's a different salt we're dealing with. It's a derech kovet to reshainim. But Rav Meisha is arguing because this is his Messiah and had a paskin a And that's why the Tzitzeliezer, who had a totally different Messiah, who Kaseder is bringing all Paiskim that he could find because of his Messiah. He's incredulous that Rav Meisha should say what he's saying. So people have to understand where Rav Meisha is that's how it's coming from. But the bottom line is that a person has to ask a Shaila of his Maradasra, not pick and choose. Thank you very much. That was a guy in her, Rav David Cohen. Thank you very much, Rav David. It's always a covered goddle to have you with us. Feelings mutual, Colter. Here is a leading Jewish pro-choice activist, Mara Nathan. She's a Northwestern graduate, an extremely bright person. Um, she's a Reformed Jew and a rabbi in her Reformed temple in San Antonio, Texas. Let's hear what she has to say about the logic of pro-choice. Welcome, uh, Mara. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So explain to us, you know, what are the arguments to be pro-choice? Like, wouldn't we recognize, why wouldn't we say, look, this is, if we leave this, fetus alone, it's going to be just like you and me. I'm talking about where it's a healthy fetus, not where it's, you know, a fetus with some type of a very serious illness, a terminal, Tay-Sachs, et cetera. So why would we say, let's extinguish this future, I don't know, Mother Teresa, Albert Einstein, whatever it is, what's the logic behind it? Yeah, I think the perspective is different. I, do, I don't think that um, for people who are pro-choice, the starting point is let's extinguish the possibility of life. I think, um, and certainly from my perspective, the focus is on the autonomy of the woman to make a decision about her own body um, and to have some autonomy over her life in general. So in the same way that the, the Jewish tradition, as, um, as I believe you know, does allow for the termination of a pregnancy in certain circumstances. And if you look at responsa, you know, as far back as the Middle Ages, it's not only for um, 
a pregnancy that is completely unviable. There are other circumstances where it's considered for the health and well-being of the mother that it could be considered as well. So I think the part about this pro-choice or the pro-choice argument and the challenge to Roe v. Wade that is so unsettling is it's an attempt to legislate a woman's decisions about what she does with her own body, whether that's by herself or in conversation and partnership with her partner. Um, So for me, it's less about we should give people the right to extinguish a pregnancy and more about we should trust women as intelligent human beings to make responsible choices about their own lives and their own futures. Now, the response that you're referring to is the Rambam Maimonides who says that if a child, the birth of a child could cause the mother's death. So we we see the um, the mother as having the right, you know, the, the obligation to protect her own life. But that would again be more. Well, let me go back to the case of autonomy. Would, okay. Would, would somebody in the United States let's say we recognize and say I want to use serious drugs, right? Right. Um, we don't say you have a right autonomy to to my body. Let me do what I want with it. And and drugs make me happy. We, we sort of, we, 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 de- we deny that autonomy. Uh, or prostitution. Well, I mean, or prostitution. Let's say prostitution. Except for Nevada, prostitution in the United States is legal. It's two consenting adults. The woman should have autonomy over her body, I would think. Right. Uh, but we don't so allow you, it. Well, I mean, we so don't allow it. It's illegal, I, it's illegal not, in, four, not, in 49 and a half states. Sure. So... I don't, I don't know anyone who thinks that abortion is a good thing, right? No one says that that's a positive thing in the world, but we all have to make, or many of us have to make hard choices in our lives for a variety of circumstances. Um, and it's unclear to me why the United States wants to legislate, or other countries too, what a woman can and cannot do with her own body. Let's go back to your point. Your point was a woman should have autonomy over her body. And I'm just curious, Western law has accepted that we don't have autonomy over our own body in areas such as drug use, in areas such as, well, I guess, you know, I guess smoking illicit things would also fall that, but prostitution. And we recognize societally people don't own their own bodies, and, and people can make bad, do not have autonomy over their own bodies, right? In almost every state except for two counties in Nevada. So are you basically saying that we should allow for prostitution under the same arguments as well? I mean, I'm not prepared to have a conversation about prostitution. Um, that's not. That's not why you called me to have a have No, a no, but, uh, but, uh, no, 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 but I'm just pointing, I'm using that as to show that legally in, I mean, in the United States, we recognize Yes, sure. But throughout history, women have have been sex workers to support themselves because they either chose to or didn't have other options. And we see over and over that women are criminalized when they make decisions about their own bodies that don't seem to fit in with more traditional ideas about a woman's role versus a man's role. And there are so many instances where men have autonomy and privacy when it comes to their own sexuality and sexual activity, but women do not. So, I mean, we could talk about all these other areas, but we're specifically talking about when a woman conceives. And of course, men cannot conceive and women can. So, men are more free to be involved in what society might consider to be inappropriate, but without any 
any stakes, right? Whereas the woman who involves in the same activity, if she is discovered or and or if she becomes pregnant, has a huge price to pay. She has a baby outside of her own marriage. Let's just say she feels with incredible stigma in her society. She chooses to terminate the pregnancy. She either is you know, she also faces stigma in her society. She, um, or she winds up, and then in cases of women who have many, many, many children and perhaps aren't physically or emotionally capable of having more, she's then put in an emotional position where she's taking care of children she doesn't feel comfortable or capable of doing. And how is that good for her other children, right, or her family in general? This is me listening to it again and saying, her argument is women should have autonomy. Now, again, we don't have autonomy in the United States. Prostitution is illegal, both for the female as well as the male. And we don't say you have autonomy over your own body. We don't say you can ingest drugs because you have autonomy of your own body. We don't say physician-assisted suicide is allowed because you have autonomy of your own body. So we don't recognize this, but she's saying here we should allow it because women sort of have it worse off than men, and therefore they should be allowed autonomy. And in this case, autonomy comes at the expense of somebody else, which is the fetus which is being killed. That's how, basically, the autonomy argument. Since I have it worse, I should now have the right to have autonomy, even though it's not recognized anywhere else. And therefore, my autonomy, my need for autonomy, allows me to kill the fetus. That's the way I understand the basis of the argument. Let's go back to uh, Amara. That, look, there's no doubt that having children can create tremendous um, responsibility as well as hardship. But would we agree that, or not, that if we just say, look, let's look at the autonomy of the woman. She has a right to make decisions for her own life. So why post-birth, what's allowed to kill a child within the first three months or six months? Because we, we have absolute autonomy and this will destroy my career. It'll create great financial hardship. It could be a sick child. It could be a terminally ill child at a month or two. Are you saying after a child is born? Them. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Let's, we should let's make a window of six months to kill a, a, a sick child. I mean, I, I think that's a bit of a, I mean, sort of an absurd comparison. And I think you and I could both agree whether we agree with it medically that according to rabbinic, or Jewish tradition, rabbinic tradition, until a baby is born or in the midst of being born, it's not considered to be a person. I mean, that if there was a choice between the woman's life and the, and the unborn child's life, that it was the woman's life. But I want to be clear, people who are pro-choice in general don't think that there should be an abort, that a woman should have an abortion at any time, no matter what. And the vast majority of abortions in this country happen before 15 weeks anyway. It's something like 94%. So we're talking about if that child was born on that, at that moment, it would not be a viable life medically. So still a very challenging, very sad, very hard decision to make. And most abortions are not sort of the, you know, the imagined idea of a woman who has, you know, a sexual encounter in a reckless way and finds herself to be pregnant and then wants to use abortion as birth control. That is really not the case in the vast, vast majority of moments where a woman makes a decision to terminate a pregnancy. What are they? What are the vast majority? I believe the vast majority are people who already have children um, who find themselves in a situation where they are not capable of taking care or do not feel that they're capable of take, taking care of additional children. Um, of course, there are 
all different situations where people feel like they need to have an abortion. But in the research that I have done, um, the majority of people who make that choice are not sort of your, you know, you're you're going to, you know, have a sort of a fictional idea of a 20-year-old woman who's involved in a, you know, in a non-committed relationship and has a baby. Like, I, I don't think that those are the majority of, of cases. And I don't think anyone well, the, ever well, the, says, They say six, I think it was 63 million kids aborted in the United States since Roe v. Wade. That's more than the amount of people killed in World War II, right? So, I mean, to say that, you know, there haven't been a substantial number of them that were done for... I don't know, they had, people did have an affair or a teenager. Or, you're not talking about a million kids, 63 million of them, right? So, mm, you know, yeah. But, what, so wait, so wait. We, we, we would both agree then you would say that you can't kill a child, even if it's a, a sick child post-birth, right? What about third sure. trimester? What, what do you believe about that? I mean, I, I know that there are situations where it's medically necessary well, for the health well, of the mother the and kids. or if there's a... It's clear from sonograms and whatnot that that child will not live, right? So those things occur, but other than that, I would not be in favor of terminating a pregnancy at that point. Even if the woman was very clear it would destroy her autonomy and she feels it's a a real invasion, she lost her job in the interim and it's now really difficult for her, something changed, and she says, look, my autonomy is going to affect my career and I want to abort this child in the third trimester. I would counsel against it. And a child, a, a baby in the uterus that is six months along has viability. That's a child that, I mean, I have congregants who have had to deliver early at that time and their children have been in the NICU and then have survived. That's a, a different conversation completely, I believe, than so, someone who, in the, so in the first, you know, six, eight, ten, twelve weeks discovers that they're pregnant and they it is certainly a living entity within them, but not yet a viable birth. And and that woman has a very difficult decision to make. And I don't think you should make that decision for her. I don't think I should make that decision for her. I certainly do not think the Supreme Court should make that decision for her. And that's a decision so wait, she so- has to make with her family and her community. Okay, so so you so we agree that third trimester would be out, right? Now it's a question sure. to say the first eight weeks. So isn't the debate then not about autonomy? It's just about a debate of when do we say life begins? But my point is is that if we agree that post birth you can't, if we agree that third trimester you can't because it's viable. So then the debate is just, when do we see life? If, if we say life in the third trimester, once we see life, we all agree you can't do it, no matter how traumatic it is. Sure. So the disagreement yeah. of, of eight weeks, four weeks, six weeks, uh, 40 days, is really just a debate of when does life begin? I mean, that, that's really, I think, what it boils down to. If life began, you, 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 you can't, no matter how traumatic it is. And if life didn't begin, well, then... Sure. You can no, that's a, fine. A, a, oh, okay, I'll I'll agree with that. But different. So you have the, the then you then it becomes a conversation about religious freedom versus medical determination. Um, you know, different faith traditions. Certainly, Christianity versus Judaism. Just from a religious perspective, view the beginning of life in different ways. And um, and so for 
a Christian majority in, in a supposedly secular society to say that this is what God intended um, is saying the way I understand God and my belief in God is the only way that the world should operate. So that's troubling in and of itself. And doctors have different perspectives about, um, you know, based on their own faith beliefs when life begins. But as we were talking about before, to me, um, the question of viable birth is, is a good dividing line. And these days, as I think we would both agree, um, a viable birth is something that um, is possible much earlier in a pregnancy than it once was. Um, but, but let me ask you a question. Let's say from a non-religious point of view, somebody, mm-hmm. if, 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 uh, if somebody, God forbid, killed in a car accident or damaged, you go to court and what do you say? This person could have been a doctor, could have been a lawyer, could have been, a, and we reward in American court damages based upon the potential of the person. We see potential okay. as something real. So forget about, let's leave religion out of this. Just leave ethics, morality. An eight-week-old or four-week-old or six, what a fetus is, if you left it alone, it could become a Picasso, right? So without religion, leave it, why don't we say, look, this is a potential Picasso. It's a potential sure. name you're and and okay. and in dam and in damage. So that itself is a powerful argument for life, notwithstanding religion, because I think if you bring religion into it, then you have all kinds of, you know, we don't see we don't want to rule the you know we're we're certainly a minority religion, but we want to leave religion out of it. But just from an ethical point of view, I mean, this is this is Picasso here in the womb. So. Without religion. So let me ask. So let me let me flip that on you. You have a 15 year old girl who is assaulted and and gets pregnant, and she is brilliant. She is the top of her class. She is a brilliant painter or an amazing musician or an an unbelievable scientific mind. And yet now she's pregnant. And she's going to have to drop out of high school to have this baby. And her entire future is now upended because of something that happened to her. So why is her future less important than an unborn <clears throat> child's future? I would tell you that if she was assaulted, I would see uh, incest, assault, rape, crime. I would say that most rational Americans, except for the extreme right, would say with no problem. I think most people would agree that rape, incest, mother's health, child's health, etc. But now let's say she had willingly, she had a boyfriend. And now you would ask the question, well, what about this brilliant girl? Well, we didn't impose it on her. She decided, she did something, and at 15, she can make her own decisions to have a child. Now she says, listen, I want to become Picasso. My child could become a Picasso. My life comes before my child's life. So that's the thing is, if you were assaulted, it's one thing. If you made that decision, would you possibly see that as different? You made a decision that you can't kill Picasso because you want to become Picasso. Nobody asked you to. Sure. So, but then there's what if she was on birth control and her birth control failed? Are you saying that that girl is being punished for being sexually acted outside of marriage? I mean, from a tradition, from an in an Orthodox community, you may say yes, but in a non-traditional community, I, I mean, personally, I think 15 is too young to be sexually active. But that doesn't. But I don't want someone who's made that decision to necessarily, if something goes awry, if they're not being careless, but things happen. Mara's saying that she found a case where the autonomy is 
here you have a 15-year-old girl who did everything right, even though she was having, having relations at 15, which most of us would say is highly irresponsible, religious or irreligious. And um, shouldn't we feel bad for her that she now, her life is going to be changed? Now, 63 million aborted pregnancies in the United States. That's a quarter of the country almost. That's more people killed in, killed in World War II. I mean, 63 million who had cases because they birth control didn't work. I mean, like, come on, is that silly? It's like something, I can hear it happens, you know, a half a percent, one percent of the time, 63 million of these types of cases. So it's like we've taken like uh, like some type of a case where it's particularly seems sad and you would want to think about in this case, we can kill somebody else so that you could have a good life and said, based upon this, we should allow it 62 other million children to be killed. Now, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this argument. So at the conclusion of this conversation, two things uh, sort of stand out to me. It's, it's two powerful words that the pro-choice movement is using. One is autonomy. Autonomy means like freedom, self-governance over your own body. Like, you know, Israel got autonomy from Great Britain when the country was formed. So who doesn't want autonomy? Everybody wants self-governance. Everybody wants freedom. Nobody else, nobody wants to be ruled or told what to do. So it's a great argument, autonomy. So let them abort because of autonomy. But here's the question, autonomy, freedom. Can a person walk around unclothed, without clothing, in the street because they have autonomy over their own body? Of course not. You know, it's, it's the end of society if people walked around naked, right? Can they do drugs because they have autonomy over their body? Can we assist in suicide, prostitute? These are all cases of autonomy. And the answer to all of them is no, and mostly because it affects in some way something else. So the question is, of course we want you to have autonomy, but who are you killing, in this case the fetus, for your autonomy? So it's sort of like hijacking a word. I'll give you an pro-choice. Everybody's pro-choice. Do you want to be limited in your choices? I'm sorry, you can't go today, here or there. You can't eat this, do that. You can't go to go on a trip. Everybody's pro-choice. So imagine the situation. You're standing in court and a guy's brought in in handcuffs and the judge asks him, what are you here for? He says, I'm pro-choice. The judge says, I'm also pro-choice. This is absurd. He turns to the attorney. What are you charging with? He says, well, he was standing at a jeweler's window with a, a bull peen hammer and he pointed at the Rolex and he said, I think I want that Rolex. I'm pro-choice. Right? We understand that this is not going to have a good conclusion for the fellow with the bull who broke the plate glass window because he, he chose to take the Rolex. Or for a matter, somebody else is in court and just says, what do you, he says, I'm pro-choice. He says, what do you have for? He says, my choice was to kill my mother-in-law. Well, pro-choice doesn't work there either. So everybody wants choice, but to say choice, I, you know, I'd like my freedom and therefore I want to kill the fetus. So I don't think choice is the debate, nor is autonomy the debate. The debate is what are the rights what are your rights to kill something that is alive and will become a full-grown human being, just like you and I are each? But everybody listening to this program at one time was a fetus. So it's it's the hijacking of words that upsets me, these very lofty words, you know, liberty, choice, freedom, autonomy. It's dishonest. It's not the debate. The debate is really, is a fetus which will become a full human being alive and does it? Ha- do we have a need to protect it? And clearly as a religious person, we understand that. I think as an ethical person, we can understand that. But that is really the debate and we should just, if they use these words on us or on me in the future, I would point it out probably maybe a little more clearly. But one of the reasons we have this program is Dam al and that's why we bring on various opinions and I hope you got a little clarity. Let's go to our next guest. Joining us is Rabbi Yaina Reis. 
He's the Av Bezdin of Chicago, of the CRC of Chicago, Chicago Rabbinical Council. He's Rosh Hashiva at Rabbi Yitzhak uh, He's also a Skan Av Bezdin of the Bezdin of America, the Mechaber of Sefer, Kan Feyayna. I could continue with his achievements for a while, but let's, we, we want to get to our topic. Welcome, Rabbi Reis. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you. So, Rabbi Reis, I'm going to jump into a few particular questions. There are Paiskim who believe that you know, if the, in the let's say in the case of Tay-Sachs, where you're going to deliver a child who has a very short lease on life, etc., um, that abortion is permitted. Let's say you're in a case where almost everybody would agree it's abortion is permitted, but it's not it's not life threatening, so it's not a pikuach nefesh. So the Rav Paskin, the woman is going to get an abortion. So here's a shaila by because the, the founding of the reason, most of the reasons, let's say, of, let's say, of the tzitzel, yes, et cetera, they believe it's only a drabanan. It's not a dinner of tzicha. So it would be mutta. However, for a guy, they all would agree it's an isidaraisa. So here's the shaila. They bring the surgeon, and his name is Dr. McMillan. Because the person has to say, listen, for the guy, it's an isidaraisa, would be asa, even if the child has tasex. So I'm going to be over an isidaraisa by using the guy of lifna iver. So therefore, it would be pre- preferable to use a Jewish doctor. What would you say to a child like that? I don't know. It's a tough shaila. It, as, uh, as a general rule, uh, it's also obviously it's considered an isidaraisa uh, for uh, for a non-Jew to um, to abort. I think that's true with respect to uh, to non-Jews. Uh, so uh, there would be a, a problem, for example, if you had a, a Jewish doctor who's going to do a, an abortion for a non-Jewish uh, patient, uh, where it would not be justified, as you pointed out, if it's a case where it's a threat to, to uh, the mother's life. So there's a day in Tosos that indicates that that would be permissible for non-Jews uh, as well. If it's within the first uh, three months, uh, so uh, there's a line in the... Um, You'd be over where Babaji Yosef suggested that uh, maybe that wouldn't be a chi of Misa uh, for a non-Jew either if it's uh, within the first three months. So that might be a different story. Most cases, many cases, you'd be dealing with the first three months. I'm not sure uh, that uh, having a, a non-Jew do it in a case where it's uh, permitted uh, for a Jew, if you're dealing with a Jewish baby and a love Paskin, that it would be permissible. I'm not sure that that would be us. It would be us if you're dealing with uh, a non-Jewish uh, person who's not allowed to have an abortion. I'm not sure that would be uh, prohibited. I'm not sure. The question is, is a guy allowed to do abortion on the Yid, where for him it's, a, it's an Issa Dereis, and for the Jew it's not an Issa Dereis, that's really the Shiloh. It's an Issa Dereisa for the non-Jew. For the, right. It's an Issa Dereisa to do on a non-Jew. I don't think it's necessarily an Issa Dereisa for the non-Jewish doctor to do it in a case where it's permissible for a let's Jewish say would, baby. I let's say it would, right. would be not permissible. Right? So for, for, for a Jew, there would be no Chiyav Misa. And the guy who who's aborts the Jewish baby, L'chayra for him, it would be a Chiyav Misa. So you see that. I think it's a bifurcated. for a non-Jew. With, yeah. Right. I understand the question. But is it more of a problem? I think if it's dealing with a non-Jewish baby, I think it's... That's for sure, but I'm saying, so for a guy to kill yeah. a non-Jewish baby, L'chaira, it's Dam Adam Ba'adam, and for him would be an Isidaraisa, that's what I would think, and he would be Chayiv Misa, if he, even if it was a Jewish baby who he aborted. And there was no need, let's say. So if there is a need, it still remains an Isidaraisa, even according to the Tzitzel Yezer, if it's, uh, if it's for a guy. It's an interesting Shiloh. I was curious if you ever heard any of the Paiskim discuss it. I haven't heard it uh, discussed. Uh, it was. It's not. Uh, it wouldn't be obvious to me that it would be us if it not Jew to do for a Jewish baby in a case where it's most. It would be obvious it would be us if it would be a non-Jewish baby. But uh, this uh, scenario, I'm, I haven't really seen discussed. I'm not not sure. Okay, here's another question. The there's a few chuvas from Moshe Sternbuch and others have Paskin that uh, the mercy killing, let's say, uh, would be allowed. Uh, 
for a non-Jewish doctor. And Rabbi Sternbuch was asked the following question. He was asked by the head doctor when he was the chief rabbi of South Africa that they allowed mercy killing in South Africa for a person who's, let's say, terminally ill in pain. So they allow assisted, I guess, the doctor to end the person's life. And he was asked, can a, can a Jewish doctor ask him, was he allowed to sign off? So Rabbi Sternbuch said yes. He said, because the din of Hariga by a guy is because of the din of Zion Mrs. B'nai He says, the Zion Mrs. B'nai was sort of given for, you know, because, because people have to ha- have certain parameters how to live in humane ways. They would eat each other, they would consume each other alive. So he said, if they're not doing it al but they're doing it al which are because of mishpatim, of benadam l'chaveri. So he said, and a just government has said, look, if a person is terminally ill in great pain, the humane thing is to kill him. It would be muta for the doctor to kill him, for a guy you should doctor to do him. He says, for a Jew would be a problem, because that way is also a The serza has no reasons to it, to zeres hakasav. So I wonder if Roe v. Wade is, is uh, let's say, uh, is the, 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 it was it's uh, what would be the rule? It was overruled by the current Supreme Court. Now you're going to have something like 25 states that say abortion is now illegal, unless where it's for the the child's ter- you know it's a it's a child who has one ventricle. All these cases that are you know severe medical issues. At that point, would you say, look, the reason the government is allowing is allowing it to happen is because of humane reasons. Since it's for humane reasons, even a guy would be allowed to do it because it's similar to the other cases of the. Of the uh, it's not a dinner of anymore. It's not because they don't think this is there's no life over here. They would think we do think it's a lie. But even if it's a lie, it's no different than ending the life of a terminally ill patient. Therefore, abortion would be allowed to be done by the Goyim in that case. According to that opinion, maybe if there was some humane reason, if there was some sort of a uh, risk involved, uh, there was some uh, you know, serious uh, medical condition, maybe one could uh, manufacture such an argument, but uh, that's not uh, really um, what we're talking about in cases of uh, abortion, where uh, right now, uh, at least uh, the, uh, the law is uh, that uh, a woman is allowed to do uh, an abortion as long as um, the child is uh, not viable. I think that was the what Roe versus Wade said, that uh, you couldn't uh, impose any restriction on a woman to uh, do accept the reasonable um, medical regulations and the like as long as the child wasn't yet viable. Now, I know that you're Skana Bezin of the RCA, and what is the RCA's position if a child would come with some type of terminal illness, uh, the child would die, we'll say with Tay-Sachs, what is the position of the RCA? Do they go with Ramosha Feinstein? Do they go with the Tzitzel Yezer and the other Paiskim, you know, the Ach Yezer and the Rav Polim and all the Paiskim he brings, the Taras Chesed of Lublin? What is the RCA's position? I don't think there's any official RCA position. I think we start off by taking Rav Moshe very seriously. I think any responsible posting is to start off by taking Rav Moshe very seriously, that at least there's no shash here, uh, that there's an Ister Ritzicha when you're dealing with uh, fetus, and that um, there's a possibility that you really shouldn't be uh, make a wall or enter into that territory if there isn't uh, a threat to the mother's life, like the Mishnah Nolos uh, talks about, that obviously then... Um, then the abortion could be permitted, whether it's mitam rodef or, or whether the child's not a nefesh, as Rashi says, or some other reason. Uh, but you have to start off uh, with that um, uh, with that starting point. Uh, also, you know, as Rav Soloveitchik said, uh, in the middle of uh, all of the debate uh, regarding uh, abortion in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade, 
he said that he thinks that in his mind it's something vulgar, the clamor of liberals that abortion be permitted in the love so lawsuit. So you start off by, so by feeling that uh, really you should do everything in your power to see to it that uh, the pregnancy be uh, be continued. Uh, but if there are special circumstances, I think the way that responsible post scheme operators, they look at the special circumstances, the threat to the woman's health, the condition of the child, the, the circumstances of the case where the couple is holding many, many different variables, many circumstances. And uh, if uh, there is a, a tremendous uh, compelling need, so then, of course, you take into account uh, the other sheet, is, uh, whether it's the Chavos Yarin, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, and uh, the Maharit, uh, however uh, interpreted, uh, and uh, those post-game who were prepared to be a little bit more flexible based on the sugyas, based on uh, the other explanations given as to the uh, Isser for uh, abortion. And you pass it on a case-by-case basis, uh, but I don't think there's any uh, the official position. The official position is that you have to start out on the saying this is a dover, which is chum or me'od, and uh, if you can uh, steer things in a direction where a child uh, can uh, can be born and it, uh, it can it can work work out, so that's uh, that's generally a, that's generally a big mitzvah, uh, unless there's a real uh, real need, especially though the, the, the white mother's uh, life is uh, is jeopardized. That's a, that's a different story. There, Rav Ozna has a tshuva. He says not like Rav Moshe that it has to be a kol levade that it's a sakana for the mother. He says even if it's a remotely even if it's you know one in a million. But even if it's a, it's a reasonable, you know, sakana, it's not the karav levada, it's still a reasonable sakana. You have to take that, you have to take the sakana of the mother very seriously. So here's a statement that the RCA put out. I'm reading from on uh, January 29th. Okay. Rabbi Mark Dratch, executive president of the RCA, we are very concerned about the potential physical, emotional, personal, and financial implications that abortion restrictions may have on the mother, etc. Now, would you say, like, what does he mean when say financial restrictions on the mother should be an implication? What is what is the meaning of that? And if it has financial implication, that I'm just re- I, I I pulled this off of the way, because I'm, you know what I mean? Said so the financial implications that abortion restrictions may have on the mother. Like, does if the mother, let's say, absolutely, she was destitute and she got pregnant, would you say that fact that the mother says, I can't, I just can't feed the child, would that be a reason to abort? No, that would be terrible. That would be a terrible reason to abort. That's what I was telling. What about like emo- they have, emotional? They have organizations now yeah. that, that that provide funding for. There's this wonderful organization that we saw provides funding whenever there's a, a couple that's thinking or a woman who's thinking of aborting because she can't afford to, to raise the baby. That they, they they commit to provide for diapers and formula or whatever else for for, for years so that abortion shouldn't happen. I think that's a mitzvah gedola what they do. I think it's a wonderful thing. They've saved you know thousands, probably tens of thousands of Jewish children. It's a, it's a beautiful thing what they do. Yeah, I, I was I was honestly I didn't understand what he meant. And then he writes, or the emotional well-being of the mother. Like if a mother says, if I have another baby, I'm just going to have a nervous breakdown. Would, would that be a reason to abort? Sometimes uh, there's uh, an emotional consideration based on the diagnosis of the child. The, the child is uh, diagnosed uh, that it's going to be a Down uh, syndrome child going to have some other abnormality or defect that's going to be very taxing uh, to uh, to the mother and uh, maybe it's uh, going to be the first child and as a result uh, she's not going to want to have any more children. A post-take would have to take that into consideration uh, but uh, these are very uh, these, these are very heavy judgments that really have to be weighed very, very carefully. The starting point is that if the mother's life isn't in danger that uh, you try to do everything in your, your power uh, to, to encourage her that uh, that they have the child. That's the starting point. And what do you do in the case of uh, 
a child that was born from a, 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 you know, an affair, and the child would be a mamzer. Would that be a reason to be mekel? As as per Yankov Emden, which is, yeah. but in, in a case like, I mean, just the Ellen, Yankov Emden writes that a, a woman who had a child that would be a mamza, he says, since anyway she would be Chayiv Misa, the child could die. I mean, which is, I don't know, according to Yankov Emden, could you kill the mother? But the Adem is the Hasra. I don't think that Yaakov Edmund himself would say he killed her, killed the mother, although he does suggest that the mother could kill, could kill herself in that shuva, uh, which is also uh, uh, an extraordinary uh, suggestion. Somebody who didn't have Eric could kill themselves, you know? Right, right. So I don't think that... It would make, mo- it would make uh, most suicide right? mother, yeah. Who hasn't done an Avera sometime in their life, you know? Yeah. Right. I think uh, that 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 would uh, that would be a very bad thing. Um, but in this case, yeah, you, you're Rav. Somebody, call, somebody yeah. calls you up. They say you're Av Bezdin. Somebody had an affair. The child's a mamza. They say, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Reese, what do I do? Can I have? Can I abort it? I'm not uh, generally a maker when it comes to these issues, but it doesn't mean that uh, there aren't responsible post out there who, in these types of situations, will weigh all the factors, including uh, the, the fact that a child uh, may be a mom's if it's true. It's hard to have a conclusive mom's nowadays, truthfully. Uh, so it could be that the child really wouldn't be a mom's so why, why do you say, why do you say that? The pregnancy... Why, why do you say you can't have let's a say that uh, the woman let's say the woman uh, is pregnant with another she knows she knows that this is from another man but she's living in the same house as her husband so the halach is so let's say she would so since we're talking Alumdish, let's say her husband is and he hasn't been home in nine months so there's no Shiloh well, they did DNA, whatever. Okay, there's no Shiloh, so then that, that, that wouldn't necessarily be uh, considered. But, but, but as Abachi writes, that nowadays that people could get into planes, it's not necessarily true uh, that you can't uh, say the possibility maybe the husband was there. Do we know for sure that the husband wasn't there? Uh, you're speaking from the, from the perspective of a post People shouldn't pass in for themselves that the child is going to be a mom. So you're right. There are cases where a child is really a mom. And if it were, so well, how would you pass in if, if you, you were absolutely certain? How would you pass in? I was absolutely certain. I wouldn't poskin that one should do an abortion based on that consideration alone. Uh, I think that there are poskin out there who would take that into consideration, especially if the child was, let's say, within the first 40 days of pregnancy, with that they that it's Maya Bialma. So someone probably take that into consideration. It's a case by case determination. My general tendency is not to to, to be mako on on these issues, even if it was a child of Mamzeris. It was a case I had a Rebbe in high school who was very proud of the fact that uh, there was somebody who came to him, that there was a couple that they weren't uh, they weren't from, but uh, they had a relationship with him, and that uh, they wanted to know if it was uh, appropriate to have an abortion. They wanted to have an abortion because they figured out that they conceived their child on Yom Kippur, and they felt terrible about it. It's such a terrible thing to bring a child into the world where they had Tashmish on Yom Kippur. One thing they knew about was that you're not supposed to do that on Yom Kippur, and they knew that the child, somehow they knew the child had been conceived on Yom Kippur, and they were going to do an abortion, and he talked them out of it. The way he talked them out of it was by saying, well, do you have relations with each other when the, the, when the wife is Anita? So they, she didn't go to the mix forever. They said, yeah. I mean, but, uh, so, so he said, so this is, uh, this is uh, that's just as bad. So, oh, so it's no worse than that. Okay, so I guess we don't need to have an abortion. So he's very proud of the fact that he saved them from having an abortion. Sometimes uh, you have to use some chokmah to talk people out of an abortion. Okay. Talk about the morning after pill. Have you had Shilas about it and how do you pass it? Generally, a is a problem. 
had to be. I know that there are those who think that there might be more room to be made. There are poskim who say in this particular Shaila situation, a woman uh, had uh, relations uh, in a way with somebody, whether it was us or the child might be a mom's sister, maybe in that particular case with the morning after toll, I think I saw quoted somewhere that uh, there was somebody who was making, okay, it's the first uh, 40 days. There's more room uh, for, 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 for Kula for sure, but uh, if there's no um, other mitigating consideration, then uh, I would say that uh, that should not be done. Take a, to take a pill in general uh, to uh, prevent a woman from becoming a pregnant. So we all understand that that's uh, something which is um, permitted under certain circumstances of when whenever we allow for contraception. There are many cases where the halacha would allow for various forms of contraception. So morning before pill, that's okay. Morning after pill, I can't say, I, I can't say that that would be something that would be um, mutter across the border. There's special circumstances where posting could be made. Oh, yeah, I think there are special circumstances where posting could be made. Now, is it possible, Rabbi Reese, that the first 40 days, the heter is my abalma, the, the, the embryo has not, according to Hazal, received its, its form yet. It's sort of, it's, uh, it's maybe incipient, but it hasn't gotten its surahs havlad yet. And therefore, since it hasn't, we know that the Gemara Lamashal says that a, a, a Baskayan in the first 40 days is still Eichel Truma. It's not considered, just considered mm-hmm. Maya Balma. Right. Or Shach says can't be Moirish to a child of less than 40 days or nothing. But the morning after pill, the way it works is it delays ovulation so that there's no klita hazera, that the zera is not, does not, has nothing sort of to, to impregnate because there is no ovulation. So it's a step before, before 40 days in respect is there is no embryo here. 40 days, we all agree there's an embryo, but it's not formed yet, whereas the morning, morning after pill prevents an embryo from ever forming. Would that be a reason to say, in that case, look, abortion could be a drabana, and the first 40 days could be mutalagamri, according to some Piskim. The morning after pill is it's before even an embryo. So now we're saying, how many chumras do we want to do before we say, you know, over here you could be makel? Could that be a difference? Potentially, except if you leave it alone, it's eventually going to uh, develop into a into a full fledged child. There's a good uh, there's a chance you leave it alone. It's going to develop into a full fledged child. So, so just like Avuntiman um, talks about uh, that, uh, there's no uh, special dispensation within the first uh, within the first 40 days. Uh, because of the fact that it's going to eventually become a, a left alone in a, a, viable, a viable child. So you'd have a, a similar uh, consideration in this case as well. You, 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 you could make the argument that you're making, but you could also say that you could also make a counter argument that they really shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be made in this case either. As I said, uh, the, the earlier it is, so the more room there is uh, to be made if you have a dire, uh, dire situation. But to be made is a matter, of course, the uh, Chasr do you think that um, Orthodox Jews have an obligation or even a reason to, to sort of talk about it? Like, how do we look at it? Do we say, oh my goodness, you know, the Goyim now want to kill each, allow death, murder, and we have an obligation of according to certain price scheme, it even goes on Goyim, we should be speaking up about it, or should our attitude be, listen, we really, we're not going to make a difference, so why put our heads into politics that it's not going to affect how we live our lives. Uh, we're not, we, we have no responsibility. When We don't see ourselves as sort of fiduciaries to the greater society. Should we or shouldn't we be publicly opining on these matters? Do we have an obligation? Should we or shouldn't we? 
I think it's a, I think it's a question of the halacha. The shach says in one place that uh, there is no obligation to separate uh, non-Jews from Aveira, to, 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 to do a dimafish meisur. And uh, the Ron writes, I think, in Masachas Sanhedrin, that there is a chiyot to bimafish uh, non-Jews uh, to stop them from uh, committing uh, things that would be prohibited for them uh, to do. Uh, so, really, I could see both sides of the coin. But either way, uh, I think the Sefer Hasidim says that uh, from Amidas Hasidim's perspective, from just making uh, the world a better place, uh, just like Kaddish Baruch Hu sent Yonah to Ninveh uh, to get them to reform uh, their uh, their ways. So we learned from there uh, that if we could have a positive impact on getting uh, the non-Jews to uh, perform the mitzvahs that are incumbent upon them, certainly the Zion mitzvahs, which includes the Yisra V'tzicha, of which abortion would be included, then it is appropriate for us to have a hushbah, to have a positive uh, impact. At the same time, we have to see to it that our positive impact uh, is done in uh, a properly calibrated fashion so that we're not creating some sort of a regime, uh, even um, um, unintentionally, uh, that's uh, going to uh, burden our own ability to practice uh, halacha, so that in those cases where uh, the halacha would be that a uh, posik uh, would uh, paskin that uh, a woman really could or even should uh, potentially have an abortion, that there not be uh, some sort of a law that would uh, prevent uh, the woman from uh, compl- from following uh, what would be the halakhically appropriate thing for her to do in that particular case. Again, in the vast majority of cases, we would say abortion is definitely uh, us, or is, uh, is definitely prohibited. We have to be careful. I think I saw one of the um, one of the rabbanim in, in Aguda was uh, interviewed about uh, their uh, opinion regarding the overturning of a Roe versus Wade should that happen, and they expressed uh, that uh, concern as well. So we have to be careful that it uh, not to interfere with our ability to follow halacha, bein l'kula, bein l'kuma. Uh, but uh, if somebody asks us what is our general opinion about uh, abortion, to the extent uh, that uh, we know that even a constitutional analysis takes into account what are the general mores of society, so we should broadcast what our general mores are, that uh, we don't believe that it's appropriate for either a Jew or a non-Jew to perform an abortion uh, just out of uh, convenience if somebody just doesn't want to have a child and there's no uh, threat uh, whatsoever to the woman's uh, to the woman's health. So we don't we, we, so we don't we don't think that's a proper thing. We think that uh, it's a possibility of murder not only for non-Jews but uh, but the Jews as well. Now, another question. Rabbi David Kohn, who we had on, speaks about, um, uh, he said, I don't understand Ramosha. I mean, he's, there are many Paiskim who would agree with the Tzitzeliezer, right? He said, um, Ramosha changes the gears in two tices, and he says, he says it's, 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 it's not understandable to him how Ramosha came out so sharply in this matter. Now, is it a possibility? Ramosha wrote his Chuva, I think it's like something like 1975, which is right on the tails of Roe v. Wade, and Ramosha is looking at the possibility of this becoming sort of wide, you know, he says even in Israel it's happening in a widespread manner, and he's looking at, you know, the possibility of mass murder. Something, somebody gave me a statistic that in the United States, over 70 million children have been aborted. It's an astonishing number. Um, that's more people than were killed in World War II, like double that were killed in World War II. Um, is it a possibility that Ramesha took such a stance, and when I say such a stance, again, I'm quoting Rabbi David Cohn pretty much, is he, he, uh, he, ta- he changes the gears of two types of sin. He ignores both the tshuva and the marit, which he says is mezuyif, even though 
we know it's not Mazoyev because it's Talmud, the Kesegdeila brings it, the Tarish, the Lublina Rav, the Achiezer, the Achiezer was Mishkin Katlakan, you're talking about Gedeila Is it possible that it was a reaction to Rovi Wade or Moshe's Tshuva? So he just said, we just can't allow it, period? I don't think that you can attribute ulterior motives to Ramosha. Ramosha was Kulo Lishma. He did talk about the Pirtza Gedolah Ba'olam in connection with uh, with abortion, but he felt very strongly about his opinion. He said, Shari Le Mari, uh, with respect to the Tzitzeliezer, that he was so makel to allow up until the seventh month an abortion in the case of a uh, Tay-Sax child, uh, he thought it was crazy. I think Ramosha uh, really held by his opinion. He had a very serious analysis of the Ramah he based it upon uh, the fact that the Ramam uh, was only matir, only permitted uh, abortion when there's a threat to the mother's life based on the consideration of Rodeh. He used that as a proof. He read uh, into, into Rashi as well. Uh, his interpretation, I think, of Moshe felt very strongly about his opinion. wasn't uh, wasn't the only one. Other other postkim who agreed with Moshe. So I think Ravon Soloveitchik held that way also. Shuvah Miava, others, Avundaman, others who certainly you know, followed that, that position. He wasn't wasn't yachid at all in terms of uh, holding by his position. Uh, so I uh, I think that Moshe was genuine in terms of uh, in terms of holding that way. Rabbi Reese, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, my pleasure. Okay, bye bye. Now let's go to the uh, answer to the Pesach riddles. We asked the first myth riddle we asked is why is Mar Bismanazed Rabbanan Lamaisa. We could bring it. The Arabs don't let. You're missing. You can't get up to the Temple Mount, whatever. Let's say you could. But it's a Metzias. It's only Chesarn and Hechitimza. The Ikechiev should be a Daraisa. So some said, what do you mean? It's totally in the Lamaisa. If you if you can't and you're an Oynes, you take a patan and, and it becomes a Drabanan. But Lamaisa, this is totally Machloikis Rashi, uh, Rambam and Taisvis and Rashi. The Rambam says that it's totally in the Lamaisa, but the Rambam says, Bismana Migdash, Moruz Menatayra, even if you, you couldn't be Makra of the Carbon. We're only asking, like Rashi, if bias, you would eat, even if you didn't macro of the carbon today, it's true you did it, and it's a So that answer doesn't help to pick the other sheet of the Rambam. Good, we're asking like Rashi. So Lani Azdaiti, the correct answer is what Aschinuch says he said. He says, even though Makrivin, Afalpishain bias, that means that you makayim the mitzvah, Afalpishain bias, but there's no chiv midaraisa, Bisman Shein bias. So since there's no chiv midaraisa, Likuliyalman, Bisman Shein bias, Therefore, it's a drabanan. The fact that there's a kiyam idaraisa, kiyam ya. About can chiyav nisht? Since there's no chiyav, you can't say that the chiyav the mar is a daraisa. Rather, it's only drabanan. That is the answer to riddle one. The second question we asked is a Gavaldika question. We asked that the Mishnah Bura says we learn the din of Shailam Vadarshim Lamid Yoim. We learn it from Pesach. Why? Because Moish is Oimid, but Pesach Rishon and Mazra and Pesach Shani. He then brings the opinion only by Pesach is there a din of Shailam Vadarshim. Why? Because Pesach, there's a lot of halachas. Sure. Pesach Sheini, there's very few, very few Yom Tovim that have less halachas than Pesach Sheini. It's true, Pesach Rishon has Agolas Kalim and all the other dinim, but Pesach Sheini has almost no dinim. So if we learn it out of Pesach Sheini, so then why isn't there a din of Shailam Vadarshan for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippah, Sukkot, and Midraban, and Chanukah, and Purim? Mishnabur sort of says for himself, So some answer that uh, all we see from Pesach Sheini is that there's a din of Limud halachas. Since there's a din of Limud halachas, they then extrapolate, they say, oh, by Pesach there's a lot, a lot of halachas. Therefore, once we notice it and you learn the halachas, therefore we could we could be medayik. There's, there's a lot of halachas. There should be a chiyuv, and therefore by Pesach Rishon is the one that has the most halachas. Could be. And some lumdim wanted to say a teretz that uh, the din that. Sh- 
that uh, he was Mazar on Pesach Sheni is a Tznai in Hilchus Pesach. Pesach Sheni is really, for those, it's a chilek of Pesach uh, Rishin. He said, certainly, it's according to the Rishalmi, one day in Rishalmi, if you missed, if there, was, if, if there was no Pesach Rishin, because there was no Pesach Rishin, there would be a dinner Pesach Sheni. So it's, it's a prat in Pesach Sheni. So even though in Pesach Sheni itself, there's no, a lot, there's no, there's not a lot of dinim, but since the whole being Mazar and Pesach Sheni is a Pesach Rishin Dekedin, and in Pesach Rishin, there is, a, there are a lot of halachas. So in the middle they say, by Pesach Rishin, you, by Pesach, there would be a din of because of the Rebbe Halachas that you don't have by the rest of the Emtaivim. Okay, I wasn't sure which of the two Turitzim are better. I let the Eilam decide. The third riddle was, Ve'aminu b'ashema b'mayisha avdai. So the Ramam says, they were not maimen until after Matan Torah. So he asked, it goes in Egeda Pasuk. Pasuk we say every day in Davening, Shachras, uh, they buy Kriyas Yamsuf, not by Matan Torah. How could the Rambam says, Le'aminu by Matan Torah? But if you look at the Lushen of the Rambam, Right afterwards, he says, even though they believed, but he says it was an amuna that could be reversed. Today you believe, and tomorrow you say, you know what, maybe it was magic. He says, by, by Mountain Torah, it was a, an amuna that was irrefutable and was uh, interminable. It couldn't change. So the, the Viaminu Bashem is given by Pesach Risha, by, by UCS Mitzrayim. It's true. Maybe it was temporary. The real amuna, the, the unchanged, immutable amuna came by Mountain Torah. That's the Emes of Shad and the Rambam. The next question we asked is the Marchesh's question. He says, if, uh, Ramam writes, if you're a guy, if you're kind of a chametz from a guy by Pesach, you like a question is, how could you be kind of? You're not, you can't be kind of, sorry, Hana. So some answered because since chametz is really, the Gemara says, Shteid varam right? So it really isn't yours. They just made it like it's yours. Well, if they made it like it's yours, then ain't a chanami. You could be kind it, and therefore you could be kind it. It's really schwer because are you going to say bar brushus arabim, which is ain't a brushusay shaladam, right? And also kasa brushusay. Does it have to take a be your momentistic your rishus? So uh, the answer that we're going to say is the best answer is that all yisuri hana you can't be zayichet because they're valueless. You, you can't be kind of something that has no value. The air on your property, you can't be kind of. Isuri Hano is the same. Something that's valueless, it's forever valueless. You can't own something that has no value. Ownership and value in Dine Mominus are intricately interwoven one with the other. But there's a difference. All the other Isuri Hano remain Isuri Hano. Chametz on Pesach as a Dava Sheshle becomes Mutta after Pesach, Midaraisa. So can I own something that today is worthless? That tomorrow will be worth a lot of money. In Dine Mamas, you certainly can. Look at all the owners of cryptocurrency. A lot of the things we own were options. Well, at the time were worthless, but that's how the stock market, one day they will be valuable. So clearly Pesach Sheni would be the exception of an, one of the Isuri Hano, the only one of the Isuri Hano that Mihilchas Mamanis you could actually own because it will one day have value. I believe that to be the correct answer. The next question we asked is, there's no bracha on beer chametz because it's Dvarim Shebelev. Right, that's what the Beis Yosef says. So the question is, why by Divrei Torah does the Goyen say you make, can make a bracha on Hegyen Libi, on, on, on thinking in Divrei Torah? Why could you make a bracha on thinking in Divrei Torah? It's Dvarim Shebelev, and the Beis Yosef says, Biyachamitz is Dvarim Shebelev, and we don't make a bracha on Dvarim Shebelev. So I believe that the answer is, is that Divrei Torah is Bepeh, it could also be Belev, so the, the Divrei Torah is not a Dover, that's Meyuchid Shebelev. Whereas Bittel Chametz, you have to be Mavatle Belibay, that is real Bittel. 
And and since the heftza of the mitzvah is to me it's ke'afra de ara on something that is totally on hegyon libi on that there was no tikkun abracha on something that be'etzem is you're supposed to be mighty divrei befiv you did so you did it believe but the heft is not believe right so therefore on such a mitzvah they were masak in the bracha the next question we asked in mevorchin al kol kais v'kais bracha b'fleyatzmai. Why? Because of the chashivas of the mitzvah. You already said a bar priyagafen. Why do you make an next one? Well, it's in a mitzvah. So why karpas and mur? Right? Since it says have kavana by the karpas to make it, it should help for the mur too. Okay. Even if you make a bracha on the karpas, the the mur should be mechayiv a bracha al tachshivas of the mitzvah. So I thought that the possible teretz is is that all the haga, all the the kaisis they don't have a bracha, so therefore they will masakin a bracha to give it a chashivas of a kais. Mur does have a bracha. What's the bracha? Alachilas mur. So it didn't need the hadama to give it a bra- a, a mitzvah with a bracha. It already has its bracha. Something that doesn't have a bracha, the boy repriyagafen sort of creates a toast. It gives a kedusha to the ma'aseh mitzvah. It gives a it crowns the ma'aseh mitzvah. It it delineates the Maisa Mitzvah. Something that already had its Bracha Hamar, you don't need it. So Mamela, the Al Chilas is enough. So therefore, but where's your Bracha Al Hadama? So it says the Bari Pradama for the Karpas have Kavanas, you have a Bari Pradama for the Mar too, but the Mar itself does not require, the Bari Pradama would not add anything to the Mar. The seventh question we ask is that they said, Kriyazman shall Shachras. So we asked, Sipper, you see, as Bitzrayim is Nigmar Be'alois HaShachar. Kriyaz Shema is after Alois, it's Mishayakir. The Zman of Kriyaz Shema is after Alois. Why were they saying, Sipper, you see, as Mitzrayim, after the time when you, you couldn't do it anymore? Until, uh, some answered. Look, they didn't have clocks then. It was hard to tell exactly when the Alois was and when the, uh, <laughs> the, the Yisman Kriyashma started. Could be. That's a good answer. In fact, one of the things I wondered is, and, and somebody could answer this, that you, I really give you a prize. How did they know when Chatzois is, Achilles Bases at Chatzois, before they had watches? I could never figure that one out. But that was, uh, some of the Balabats Shatar. It's hard to argue on that. Some said, we said that the Grizz famously says, there is no, that Yimakayim, Kalamarbal Asap, Alyade Limud Hatoyer, of Hilchas Pesach, like the Tesefta says. So since they were in the middle of learning, it's true there's no more mitzvah sipur yitzias b'tzrayim after Alois. A belarnin kemelarnin. So that this that they were, Makayim sipur yitzias b'tzrayim until a year's man kriyash al-shachra, was Pasha they were talking and learning. It's a shayna teretz. From the Baal Hagod, it's that mashmer away, because he says this on kol hamarbal asapir. Lamaisa, after Alois, it's true they were Makayim limudat Torah, but mitzvah asapir, they weren't. Okay, unclear, possible answer. Those are what I believe are the uh, correct answers for the seven Pesach riddles.